Hello. Hello and welcome to another episode of Where's My Freaking Dressing Room, a podcast discussing the world of classical music and what things are really like backstage. I'm Alex and I'm Helen and today we are going to be talking about image in the industry. I think image uh, in the arts in general is often considered quite a contentious topic uh, by by many kind of standards. But I think part of the reason we wanted to talk about it today is because as we kind of really move in to the 21st century, as we really move into a post-structuralist uh, kind of society, if you will, I think it's exciting to see less of a kind of essentially binary structure that like you know fat is bad thin is good young is good old is bad and we're starting to get to this sense of it's not always about these kind of polar opposites and perhaps it's maybe more of a sliding scale if you will and with that in mind we kind of wanted to turn our eye towards our own industry because I think fair to say that often the operatic industry can be considered to be a little bit backwards <laughs> a little bit kind of stuck in a slightly uh older time but i think there are some exciting signs that change is coming in a number of different areas so we wanted to raise a few topics today talk about some of the problems with them but also flag up some of the exciting signs of development that are taking place in our industry so today we're going to have a chat about size which I think is incredibly important when we consider image. We're going to talk about age. We're going to talk about what we kind of conceive as a standard perception of beauty. And then we'll wrap up today by just briefly talking about race, which I think is another incredibly important point when we consider image in the industry. So let's get into it. So I think... As we kind of start talking about image in the operatic industry, the first kind of, you know, incredibly obvious point that is worth mentioning is that opera in itself is a suspension of reality. When you enter the operatic stage or you, you go to see a show, whatever, you are being asked to leave your preconceptions of reality at the door and you're being welcomed into a brand new world, whether that be, you know, Val Valkyra, the, the, the world of the ring cycle, whether that be uh, Cunning Little Vixen, where you've got talking animals everywhere, whether it be Tosca, and, you know, we've got those church bells, which are trying to sound incredibly realistic. But at the end of the day, when you've got a woman flailing herself off a roof, uh, you know, there's there's a few kind of thoughts as to how truly realistic those moments actually are. Opera is asking you to suspend your belief and your sense of reality. So with that in mind, why is it that time and time again, we are seeing women that are stick thin let's be honest essentially exceptionally thin being stood next to men that are in often cases perhaps not so stick thin perhaps one might say a little bit uh portly if you will i think what's funny about this kind of concept of size in terms of the operatic industry is actually when we were planning this episode in advance alex you mentioned that idea of like park and bark mm, and you said that, that. Yeah. for some people like people that have never seen opera before they might think of like you know a fat old woman kind mm -hmm, of standing mm -hmm. still and warbling you know in a dress yeah but actually what i think of when i think of kind of opera and you know in particular sopranos i often think of incredibly thin women mm -hmm. incredibly thin women that you know by standard concepts of beauty which we'll talk about a little bit later they're incredibly beautiful and that's wonderful that's wonderful for these for these ladies but i it does for me 
beg the question of why is it in every single operatic soprano role do the sopranos have to be a size six? And how unfair is it for the women that are a, a larger size, a different size, whatever, that they're not able to kind of access those opportunities purely, well, not purely, but partially because of their size. And I'm raising it in this way because I think in our industry, there is such a system of double standards because for men, tenors, bases, this is not an issue. You can be any size under the sun and as long as you can sing the role, you will be cast apart. And I know it's an incredibly obvious example, but Pavarotti was, was an incredibly large Bigger man. than a mountain. but he could play any role from you know the duke in Regoletto to Pagliacci whatever he played it all and size was never an issue but when it comes to a soprano playing let's say Violetta for example often you get this kind of conversation about well you know she's she's dying she's she's got consumption so we have to make sure to accurately portray that but if if everybody else around her is of a you know size that's perhaps not related to the current situation in front of her then why is it just your kind of show soprano that has to be a size six, a size four, a size zero, whatever. What What is the concept behind that? And I think what is a step in the right direction is that in some places and in some houses, casting is starting to change. And actually really recently, Jamie Barton, who's a, an incredible mezzo-soprano, posted a picture of her singing uh, Giovanna uh, at the Lyric Opera in Chicago in Anobolena. And uh, she is kind of the romantic role at that moment and you know Jamie takes pride in the fact that she is a slightly larger woman and she's making a point when she posts that picture that romantic leads do not have to be thin and I was excited to see that picture because I thought she's absolutely right and she's you know she's bucking a really boring old trend and you know I was reading the comments actually on Instagram and countless people were saying how incredible she was and you know they could really see and sense the the chemistry between her and the the male lead at that point and I just think it's it's so important that we have singers that are kind of helping us pave this way forward and reminding us that really size in these roles is not important and it should not be a predicating factor in terms of casting. And just a final little note from me on this topic, I think where it's so exciting to see things like that in terms of, you know, Jamie Barton and and what she was doing in that role, the things that we absolutely have to get away from are this obsession over size and role. And an example we were talking about before we recorded this episode was when uh, Tara O'Rourke, who's a fantastic Irish mezzo, she played Octavian in the 2014 Glyndebourne production of De Rosen Cavalier. And essentially nobody really talks about her voice and nobody talked about her vocal performance in mm-hmm. that opera. For some reason, countless uh, reviews couldn't get away from her shape and size and figure and um you know i said to you kind of a a direct quote that i wanted to to bring to the pod today is that um andrew clark of the financial times wrote that erort's octavian is a chubby bundle of puppy fat the wine boggles like this is opera you know this this is not a place where shape and size should be being you know castrated and and criticized upon it's about the vocal performance here and she was she was exceptional and i i just couldn't get past the fact that so many large publications all they could talk about was the fact that she perhaps wasn't as thin 
as they'd expected. Honestly, who cares? Also, wasn't she playing a man in in the show? Yeah, Octavian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, so it's already like, we've already got a girl singing as a soprano, obviously, pretending yeah. to be a boy like let's let's get a grip i don't care about the size of the thighs like what what is it's 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 mental isn't it yeah you're absolutely right it's like oh you have a problem with the fact that she's this particular size but you have no problem suspending the belief that a woman is playing a man you're, you're totally down with that are you yeah it's it's crazy and you know to be an actor you don't need to have either been through those things that the character is doing on stage or you don't and you don't need to have embodied them physically if that makes sense so you know if you're playing a murderer <laughs> let's let's be honest most actors aren't murderers well maybe some are, i don't know so you 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 know you're acting you're pretending to be something else you're getting under the skin of that character you know similarly you don't need to be dying of consumption to portray that on stage so this idea that, oh yeah, you know, you mentioned Violettas, they're always stick thin. It's like, yeah, but the thinness and the look of someone dying of consumption is like bone, stick thin, like yeah. pallid, deathly, you know, it's a key word there because they all die in the opera. And it's like, but this, this soprano is still very beautiful on her deathbed. Like, this is ridiculous, isn't it? So why, yeah. you know... By saying, oh no, but it's, it's unbelievable if we have, uh, you know, a larger soprano dying of consumption. Like, it's unbelievable, full stop. It's it's such a weak, pathetic argument that makes me so angry. Yeah. Um, and as you said, we have no problem believing that this, like, sweaty, balding tenor is the most romantic man in the world. And we all want to just jump into bed with him no matter what. Uh, and you know love scenes again they're so unbelievable in opera because they're screaming in each other's faces for like 10 minutes that they love each other and fair enough i do that as well in real life that's very normal for me (laughs) but for most people that's not so you know i yeah i i think just as you do i feel very passionately that this it's just so ridiculous yeah 100 percent. and like exactly what you're saying there like an opera it takes you know, an hour to say something that could be said in approximately five seconds if you just spat it out in one sentence. <laughs> and yet, you know, the size of your sopranos is something that's incredibly crucial to you and something that's incredibly cutting. And, you know, just to kind of round up on this point, I think what's, as we're saying here, exciting is that some people are paving the way forward for a different image, for a different uh, viewpoint and for proof that, you know, women of all shapes and sizes can do it all and it shouldn't be about you know being a certain weight being a certain size whatever having said that though there are still a lot of european opera houses where like when you're auditioning or like you you, you're putting in an application to become part of the ensemble or whatever you have to list your weight you have to list your uh dress size yeah and it's like how is that crucial uh, information for you upon my first meet how is that crucial deciding information as to whether you might hire me and it, it just it baffles me that that people can be judging others so um for me it's artificially you know it's mm-hmm. so surface level it's like oh well, you're not you're not this particular shape and size therefore like we're not really interested and it's like you could be missing out on so much. You have absolutely no idea. And I really strongly believe that, you know, in 2022, this should not be a factor in whether somebody is is your role or not. Shape and size just 
in my mind is irrelevant and it's about are you a good actor are you a convincing singer do you understand the role are you are you working well with the full cast if you are then come come aboard my friend this is a call for helen daniels to costuming once again this is a call for helen daniels to costuming okay so the next topic that we want to sort of talk about is age in opera something you know helen mentioned in the last section it's about double standards again uh it's so obvious and clear that sopranos slash all all women singers have a very clear shelf life uh and you know there's no question that someone above a certain age will be able to play susanna for example because it's like oh no no no, no. you're 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 past 30 now you know you'll you'll play the old maids thanks very much that it's it's unbelievable that you'd be like this quirky fun little maid anymore um <laughs> whereas again for men that just doesn't seem to figure often male voices develop more and more with age so we have basses and baritones who are i don't know 40s 50s 60s still cast in main roles which is amazing obviously but you know it's it's also supposed to be believable that they're young lovers young bucks <laughs> yeah young bucks exactly mm, spring chickens they're so <laughs> so healthy and young and sexy there's no question as to their age it doesn't matter that they've got gray hair it doesn't matter it's you know people are still drawn to them as a figure and a voice mm. whereas it's like oh no i i don't want to hear this old old soprano voice it's like but if if you had no idea what her age was then you would have you know if you were just listening blind then you would probably think gosh this is fantastic and this would be perfect for the role but somehow again you know it's it's this total double standards which is extremely frustrating i think as well we were talking about like there is there does come a point where these double standards which which are absolutely rife and and which hold no meaning really because uh, as we were talking about like so many characters in these huge operas are ages that are just again completely unrealistic to be portrayed so yeah you think of uh, carabino i think is 14 years old and so it's like what what do you do with that who's going to be uh you know realistically playing that and you know a role like uh charlotte which is a big big mezzo role you know she is 20 the idea that someone's going to turn up 20 years old and just be ready to sing something like that is is absolutely ludicrous and the other kind of thing i find interesting if you were about age as as alex rightly says you know kind of we still have these double standards between men and women. However, I find it interesting that if the woman's name is big enough, uh, age all of a sudden is out the bloody window. Mm. So, for example, I think Joyce DiDonato is now in her 50s, uh, same as Anna Netrebko, women like Sarah Connolly. It's like if you've made it to a certain level, actually almost your age is working in your favour because you have a wealth of life experience and, you know, years and years upon the stage. And like, you know, I I think, actually I was with you and we saw Rene Fleming's final Rose and Cavalier oh gosh, yeah, together. You know, okay. and, and yeah, every Everybody was so excited to be there because they felt like they were watching somebody that had, you know, lived such an incredible operatic career and had so much to share in terms of her her experience. And it's like, I think it's great that we celebrate these women and, and rightly, rightly so. But why is it that only these few select women 
are allowed to age and have age upon their side yet for everybody else it's very much like oh well you're you know you're over the hill now and what kind of career would you have left and it's like why are we why why is that even the question like you know i'm here auditioning for the role are you going to take me for the role? The mm. end. Mm. Simple as that. And yeah, um, I have never really been that conscious of my age in, in this context, partly because of my life and the way it's panned out. But it's been really interesting to meet people that are really worried about their age. But at the end of the day, <laughs> we we can't do a bloody thing about it. We we, we Unless we're going to lie, which, you know, if that's I'm your prerogative, yeah. yep, get in there, get creative. But... <laughs> Age is but a number, in my opinion, and I think if you if you if if it's something that's really going to concern you, then I really think you have to think long and hard about whether this is the right career for you, because that is out of all the things, one thing you have you know absolutely no control mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you were really concerned about your shape and size or whatever, that's actually something you could probably physically change. But your age, I'm afraid you're stuck with. So you know, I think we've just got to give it give it the best we can in the time that we've got yeah absolutely and I think in you know you've touched upon something which is you know people particularly in this country are obsessed with youngness so you know if you're a young rising star or a young artist okay it's amazing that at that young age yes they have they're they're so developed and, and they can play that role so wonderfully but also the pull seems to be that they're 23 yeah. rather than anything else about them. It's like, I, I, I literally, I could not care less what the age of someone is on the stage yeah. as long yeah. as they're doing it well. So why so many times I've seen that, you know, before before saying anything about them, it's like 25-year-olds, British soprano or something. Yeah. It's like, why yeah. is the age there? Like, why is British there, to be honest? I just want to know that it's a soprano singing. I I find it bizarre. And also, another thing, just, you know, young artist schemes, it's like the cutoff for women is is often, like, five years younger than men. So, like, the the top age to apply for, you know, the competition I was looking at the other day, for girls, it's 30 years old. And for boys, it's 35 years old. It's just too understand it's so that. unfair literally Why? women are absolutely hampered at every bloody corner of this industry it is a nightmare yeah something else which i suppose we can shoehorn in here actually is well i recently saw some shakespeare for example where um it's the culture i know look at me <laughs> yeah it was a uh, national theater production of 12th night where malvolio was played by a girl this time and and, and not a usual male um and that's remarkably common now in Shakespeare, in other plays, even in musical theatre, actually, when they did Company, whenever it was, two years ago, they rewrote it slightly so that the lead could be played by Rosalie Craig instead of, I don't know, a a man who's supposed to play it. And, I don't know, obviously, opera is slightly different in the sense that the score is sacred. No one must touch or mess with it. Uh, And it, it would be incredibly difficult to to rewrite things and I'm not I'm not necessarily suggesting they should but th- I guess it's another reason why opera is like light years behind uh other forms of theater in terms of well everything that we've been talking about is because you know it's like oh we, we must adhere to it perfectly and, and we must do this and there's such a sort of conservatism uh behind opera 
which is such a shame. And I, I just wonder, I just wonder whether, you know, in the future, maybe things will start to change. And I, I, I don't know how it would work. I know, for example, they, they've had countertenors playing Carabino, which I know mm, it's not the same because, well, it, it's sort of the same as in Mozart obviously wrote Carabino as a joke not a joke, but it was like a girl dressed up as a boy. And that was like part of the drama and part of the joke for Mozart yeah. and the audience. So for us to reverse that and have actually a male playing Carabino is trying to step in that right direction, maybe. I don't know. It's just, I'm just throwing out something. No, I totally yeah. know what you mean. And I think actually there are smaller companies and smaller organizations that are really kind of pushing forward with that idea of like it should be able to to gender swap these roles and obviously it's not as easy in a in an opera as it is in a in a theater play you know it involves rewriting yeah. essentially or like transposing however you want to call it it involves a big big shift in in how you work with the music yeah there are people that that want to kind of change the rules and you know kind of because we, we are in this place now where we are starting to deconstruct gender there are people that are applying these theories and ideas to our art form and yes it's going to take some time to kind of push it through really because it, it will it will take that it's you know as you say rightly so it's a very very conservative industry but you know if people put the hard work and time in and it gets the the support that it deserves there's there's nothing to say that we can't start you know creating and experimenting with with these operas and and the gender of these roles in in loads of new and exciting ways ah, i'm changing so then kind of moving on so we've we've touched here on size we've touched here on age and now i just wanted to talk a little bit about i've, I've titled it the kind of standardized concept of beauty and i suppose what i mean when i say that is huh? often working in I would say the opera industry, working in rehearsals, in, in a in a studio setting, in a college setting, however you want to put it. Um, something that really struck me quite early on was, and I don't know why, but it did, the fact that all the women wore makeup every day. Every single day, women took the time, spent the time to to put on the makeup and, and come to college. For me, makeup in my life in general has never been like a huge, huge thing. Like I, uh, I would wear it and I wear it. I would go through phases of like wearing it a lot and then not the wearing it so though. much. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, I really, I personally prefer the Joker, but like whatever. <laughs> but I found I was coming to college, you know, it'd be a day of uh, either private practice or like private practice and a lesson. So that was kind of it. So honestly, I was like, why would I, why would I put on makeup for this? I don't see the point. Like it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money because I'm going to have to like use my little pads to, to wipe the makeup off whatever but as as you know times passed and i've i've got a bit older and i'm i'm watching it all happening around me i think about it a lot and it really made me think about the expectations again on women well you know as we come to rehearsals as we come to various situations in the industry i think for a lot of women there is a, a general preconception that they need to be somewhat made up mm, i think mm -hmm. and if i'm honest that doesn't really apply to the operatic industry independently i think that's quite a big thing oh you know, yeah 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 across sure. the board yeah. there's a there's a need and and of course lots of people really enjoy it and i'm not saying that it's it's wrong to enjoy it. you know that's great if you if you love putting on your makeup that's that's really fantastic however i suppose what i am quibbling is why should everybody feel the need 
to do that? Why should everybody feel the need to dress a certain way? And, you know, recently having moved, I have to say, I have been wearing makeup every day. And I'm wearing makeup every day because everybody else is. Really? And there were a couple of days where I didn't. And I just felt really self-conscious. And I, I can't put my finger on it. Can't say anybody said or did anything that made me feel like I should be wearing makeup. But it, it was just something that was on my mind. But I'm like, what, you know, why do you feel the need to, to put on the makeup if we're all just hanging out t- together as pals? And... Uh, you know, I, I know women that are similar to me. I know people that are similar to me that perhaps don't want to put on makeup or don't want to dress a certain way. Again, I think of my my clothing choices and, you know, <laughs> I like to wear a lot of baggy clothes. I yeah, like look wear... at you today. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> cute. <laughs> I do. I like to wear a lot of I suppose you could label it androgynous clothing. That's my choice. That's my like clothing style. And there have just been a couple of times when I've performed. I've just thought about it. And as I say, no comments have been made, but I've just been aware that maybe I'm not dressing in a way that perhaps would help me. Do you know what I mean when I say that? I'm not dressing in a way that would advance my relationship with some of the people I might want to, but I'm also of the opinion that it's my choice and I want to wear these clothes and I want to not wear makeup because I don't think I need to and and that for me should be the end of it. But I see other things, other behaviours, other other ways of doing things and I you know, sometimes you look at it and you think, Huh, you know, is that is that what everyone's doing? And like, is that what I therefore should be doing do you, do you yeah. know what i mean Al? Yeah, no i totally know what you mean you know it's this i remember at a conservatoire at rehearsals it, it's changed a bit now i think different teachers there now thankfully um but we were we were in a rehearsal and the conductor actually said like oh you know you you could have dressed up for this rehearsal like why did i bother coming in at 9 a.m and because like one of the one of the girls like hadn't dolled herself up and she was she was dressed in like movement clothes as in like yeah. baggy baggy black trousers and, like a t-shirt it's kind of like all the boys were dressed yeah but because because she was standing next to a soprano who was like dolled up to the max which is you know she always she she loves doing it and you know that's, yeah she, you know i'm not i'm not we're not judging that obviously um but it's like how dare he say that how like it's disgusting we're in a rehearsal that like you shouldn't bring your ego to rehearsal if you were uh, uh as like a straight theater actor i know lot, lots of the rules are like you leave your ego outside the rehearsal room and you come in you're dressed in all black because you're 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 a blank slate and you're yeah. you're, you're embodying a character you are not like a pretty sexy thing for the conductor to look at it's disgraceful and it's such like double again going back to this double standards thing the boys can be scruffy as hell they can be i don't know in like disgusting tracksuit bottoms whatever t-shirts i would never wear that obviously i (laughs) I think that's yeah you know and and when we think about that standard concept you know of like like what is beauty what that looks like i think in many ways that encompasses this idea of age and size that we've we've kind of been talking about people want 
their soloists and their performers and their their you know stage workers to look a, a certain way but i i just i hope that as 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 we've already said with with things changing the 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 directors the the conductors the people that are that are coming up that get to kind of make the decisions you know i i am confident in the hope that better decisions will be made decisions that are not based on on size and look and beauty and, and age and, and all that kind of stuff because yeah I think when you say there about like being dolled up or, or whatever you know I, I remember t- taking it in in slightly like a different context but also you know a correct context like in productions that I've been in uh, operas but also when I've done choral work I remember really being quite surprised by the length of time some people took to do their makeup and put on their jewelry and, and all of these things again totally love it if that's what you love to do get out there and get it but it was like I remember in a concert uh, I was doing a tour and on the first concert like I put a bit of makeup on not a lot and one of the older singers said to me kind of like oh is that it like is that all you're putting on and I was like oh I you know and it's like I, w- I was in the chorus you know what I mean like it, it, I'm not I'm not the step out soloist here and I, I just I didn't really think it was a big deal and I was like oh yeah <laughs> and then the next day because I felt too young to kind of mention it actually at the time like we went and bought makeup because she was like you know let's let's kind of get you something so we can kind of you know really help you shine and I know that you know she was not saying that in a negative way at all I know she wasn't trying to make me feel anyway but of course it does make you feel a certain way Mm, of course it does I'm like oh god I should have been doing this the whole time like whoops 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 whereas when I look back at it I was like you look fine Helen like you know okay you didn't want to put yeah thanks Alex just pulled a face there thanks love love you too but but it's it's these things where like women have to be dressed in this certain way and you know like particularly I'm I'm really thinking specifically about choral music right, right now but like women always had like diamonds or really mm-hmm, sparkly mm-hmm. spangly bits of jewelry and you know I didn't, I didn't have stuff a lot of stuff like that and I'm like where where's everyone getting all this bling from and um yeah, just sometimes I think about that. And I'm like, why Why was it that we all had to dress and look such a certain way? Like, why can't there be, like, more individuality in it? And, um, yeah, you know, in in opera or whatever, like, how many times have we been in operatic productions where we've had to do our own makeup? Because, <laughs> because there isn't a budget to have someone do makeup for you. But, again, it's just a situation where, like, I was always like, wow, you know, people really spend a long time over this kind of thing. And... I don't know, it's just always something I've never really cared for. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, I, I, it, for me, it just makes me question, you know, that, that kind of concept of beauty. Like, why is it that it has to be this way? Like, why can't we all just be accepted? Like, you know what I mean? Like, every, every level should be, you know, whether you want to put on makeup or whether you don't, it just really shouldn't matter at all. Yeah, well, exactly. And also, a slight side note, actually, as in, like, Concepts of beauty change with times and fashions. So, like, you know, if you look at Renaissance paintings, or let's look at Botticelli, for example, just off the top of my head. Like, the Venus, Botticelli's Venus is not, like, wouldn't make it onto, like, a glamour magazine now or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, because she's not stick thin. She's got amazing curves and, like, you can see so much so much of the body and it's beautiful it's a celebration of that rather than a celebration of like starvation 
Um, uh-huh. And it's like, obviously, the fashion and the taste was different then. So especially so much opera is set in the past. Yeah. Handel yeah. operas, for example, or something. I don't know. Aces and Galatea, all the paintings of Galatea uh, are like of a beautiful, like well-rounded celebration. Voluptuous women. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like paintings of voluptuous women. So like, why, why is Galatea now like stick thin? It, it just makes no sense to me. It's just, it's a fashion thing. And it's just like, that's what the, that's what the director's like at the moment. You know, before James Bond used to be <laughs> like, uh, like a form that males could sort of like aspire to. You yes, know, I'm thinking yes. of like Piers Brosnan, you know, he was like trim, but he wasn't like unattainable. And he had like, heaven forbid, some like chest hair. Oh my God. <laughs> and compared to like Bond now, who is like, Yes, beautiful yes. as well we're not we're not denying this but it's like it's so different and that's in the space of what 30 years that that's changed yeah. so dramatically yeah that's a that's a very good point actually and as you know just to kind of round on that like it's a cultural thing as well like you know with you say like the renaissance or whatever but it's also like very much kind of like a white european culture that we're mm. talking about when we when we talk about these kind of different ideals you know there are countless cultures you know on the globe that the value and like you know love the the curvaceous female form or like the female form in uh, what's her name frida Kahlo. you know like yeah just somebody that really kind of bucks the trend and shows that you know it's it's not bad to be to be different but yeah i just think you know when you're in a rehearsal space for example it's just like you know no one should be made to feel uh, like underdressed like like you're saying that that story you told that i mean that's just it's not it's, it's not on this is a call for Alex Simpson, two wigs and makeup. Once again, this is a call for Alex Simpson, two wigs and makeup. Alrighty, and then to kind of close up this episode, we didn't really feel we could talk about image in the industry and not kind of touch on the the topic of race because I think something we've talked about here in this episode is how opera is such a kind of suspension of reality and how uh, it often asks you to kind of you know leave what you know at the door and come into a brand new world but I think something that we were talking about before Alex and I before we recorded this episode is how race kind of has to factor into this and I think one of the big things we were talking about was for example the role of Otello and the fact that that is you know a black role and yet for years and years and years and years uh, it's been played (laughs) by white singers and at the moment I think the operatic industry many industries in general are having a reckoning with their kind of understanding of and approach to race and opera is is very much part of that conversation and so for me it's been exciting to see productions of Otello put on where Otello is black Mm -hmm. and it's as it should be and I think what we were saying is yes we have just had this big conversation where we've asked people to kind of let go of the realism of certain situations and kind of, you know, why does age matter? Why does size matter? Why does beauty matter? But really, given the discussion on race and given what remains quite a distinct power imbalance when we talk about race in the operatic industry, race is something where I think we need to look at it through a different lens. So, for example, uh, the recent ENO production of Porgy and Bess, mm-hmm. which was an all-black cast. I think in situations like that, it's it's crucial, it's critical that when we're depicting these roles, we're depicting them in a way that gives 
respect to the story but also allows us to essentially appreciate the full context of the story i think as as white singers we have to be careful and we have to look at roles like this incredibly carefully to see that you know if i end up singing this role am i completely reconstructing the narrative and actually taking away the the nuance and the importance of the story that is trying to be told so that's one kind of aspect that i think is incredibly important when we look at race in terms of image in the industry i.e if it's a role written for a for a black person at this moment there is not enough black representation in our industry so if we have the opportunity to cast a black person in a black role i think we absolutely mm-hmm. should be doing it mm-hmm. yes this probably sounds contradictory to everything we've just said in this episode however as we've just stated there's a power imbalance that we need to be readdressing and i think lots of opera companies are doing really good work in trying to kind of cast in a more uh, inclusive way to to give those people that haven't had an opportunity that platform to to grow and shine and to to show to rising singers that there is a space for them that mm-hmm. there is a place mm-hmm. that they can go and grow and build their career so that's kind of one side but i think the second side that's also really important when we consider race and image in the industry is that um you know i was having a conversation once and we were talking about you know the fact that there are not enough uh singers of color in our industry and um the person i was talking to said well you know when you think about it you know take take uh mozart for example take the marriage of figaro i mean you know there just weren't kind of black people in that place at that time so you know it makes sense that that we're not that we're not casting and i was like but that's factually incorrect Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There were. And you know, it's really exciting at the moment to see, I don't know, uh, sopranos like uh, Goldeschutz and uh, Janine DeBeek kind of really hitting the, the international stages and showing, one, that they're incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's so exciting to see such incredible music making. But two, it's factually accurate. Of course, there were black people around at that time. And like, it's so wrong that the history has been so heavily whitewashed to the point that the person I'm talking to thinks they're right in, yeah. in making that statement. And so I think when we come to race and image in the industry, where we've asked to kind of suspend belief before, this is an area that we are not yet in the position to be able to suspend belief because the situation needs continual and constant readdressing right now. We need to work. We need to make a lot of change. There are lots of exciting companies that are making that change, but we're not yet in a position where we're just like, oh, okay, you know, this is the norm. Until it becomes the norm, we can't really even think about what we're talking about here in terms of like a full suspension of belief in in every kind of which way and area. I think Exactly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we need, we need people on stage who are role models to get more people to study and and realize ah yes it is attainable for me it's not just a white industry like I can be part of it as well because without that how like why would anyone even consider opera as as a career career for them it's crazy all cast all cast this is your five minute call repeat all cast all cast this is your five minute call well, that was a great episode, wasn't it? Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. It Liberation. Was. No, it was. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let us know uh, whether you enjoyed it or not. Write us a nice email, maybe. Uh, our email address is where's my freaking dressing room at gmail.com. Also, check out the website and the contact form on the website. The website address is 
www.wheresmyfreakingdressingroom.com. How else, Helen? Tell us, tell us, tell us. We're on social media. Catch us on Instagram at Dressing Room Pod. Catch us on Twitter at Dressing Room PO1. Catch us on Facebook forward slash Dressing Room Pod. Yeah, please get in touch. We'd love to know what you think. And don't forget to do the classics. Give us that five star review. Subscribe so you know when every new episode is coming out. And we look forward to another episode super soon. Bye. Goodbye. (laughs) 